Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Women podcast, where we share the legacy of women of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You'll get to know the faithful women who shaped our past and hear from inspiring women of faith today. I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. We are your co-hosts. And today we're so excited to welcome Catherine Reynolds to the show, who is here with us in the studio in Salt Lake City. Catherine, welcome. Thank you so much. It's yes. good to be here. We're so glad to <laughs> all be here. We're healthy, we think. <laughs> We're able to be distanced and separated with COVID surging as it is, but we're glad to be here. Yeah, it's been great. And we're so excited for our listeners to get to know Catherine, who has served as a Relief Society Advisory Council member since 2020. We were just talking with Catherine. She was born in Germany, and there's kind of an interesting story there with her parents, but she lived there until she was three, and then she was raised in Bountiful, Utah. She has a master's degree from Brigham Young University in marriage and family therapy and currently works full-time as a therapist to individuals, couples, and families. She has also had some very unique opportunities in church employment prior to that um, to work at the Salt Lake Temple and to also work for Elder Gary E. Stevenson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles. So we're excited to hear more about those experiences. Catherine said she enjoys the outdoors, interior design, travel, family history, and also loves spoiling her precious nieces and nephews probably a favorite aunt. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) they're my favorite. (laughs) Yes. Well, Catherine, to jump right into the questions, you've taken some detours in your career. Some might view them as detours. You plan to attend graduate school in marriage and family therapy, but first worked as secretary to two different temple presidents at the Salt Lake Temple. So you were there a little bit longer than planned. Mm -hmm. But then you returned to school and earned your graduate degree. But before you ultimately practiced therapy, you were hired as the senior executive assistant to Elder Stevenson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, which we mentioned. Will you just tell us about these sidetracks and how you ended up seeing the Lord's hand in these opportunities? Sure. Thank you. I think whenever I talk to people about this, it sounds kind of strange. Like, wait a minute, what's your path? (laughs) I thought you were doing this. No, I'm doing this. But I definitely have actually called them divine detours. Mm -hmm. And I I believe that, that that's what they were. I look back and they definitely weren't planned by me, but I know that they were part of the plan. And so I can kind of rest assured that I don't feel like I'm off track or Mm -hmm. say sidetrack, but really I think the Lord had his hand in it because it wasn't on my agenda (laughs) in Mm -hmm. either case. One thing that I found is that I have said many times, my life is not my own. And maybe sometimes I've said it in a way that isn't always positive. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of in re, my uh, life is on my own. (laughs) But yeah, I I think there's been times I remember pulling over in a parking lot after receiving a certain calling and I thought, uh, (laughs) my life is not my own. But I know and I, I truly do feel deeply grateful that he has his hand in my life. And that has been consistently something that I'm so grateful for and I value very much that I can trust him and that he takes the reins. But he does want me to prepare. And I, I want to be careful, too, to not say, oh, I'm just a puppet in his hands and he leads me wherever I need to go. But I know that as we align ourselves with his path and as we seek his path for us, he will take it and he will he will lead us to where we need to be. And I've experienced that. And I'm finally by age 40 learning that. <laughs> That's the Accepting way he works. That, yes. yes. <laughs> and if we really do want his will in our life, he will make it happen. And I think that's important to still seek after what you ultimately wanted to do, but then to be open to other opportunities. And I'm sure the things that you've learned and the things that you've done have been so valuable in your life. Mm. No regrets. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sometimes at the time people would ask me, I know in my cohort when I graduated from MFT from BYU, they're like, wait, I thought you were going to be a therapist. I thought (laughs) now you're working for one of the 12. Like, where did that happen? And how did that come to pass? And I just know that it didn't look typical 
And those are the moments that you can kind of rest assured that it doesn't need to be typical. Most lives aren't actually, right? Right. (laughs) Most people's paths aren't as they expected. Mm -hmm. So I'm not the only one. I imagine that that can be difficult when you're faced with those questions or even you are kind of puzzling over what has happened. But probably looking back, it's helped you develop confidence, trusting in these Mm -hmm. things that you are led to, but also trusting maybe in the guidance you received or the assurance you received. And that can help as we move forward to have the confidence to maybe live the life that doesn't appear typical, like you said, or wasn't in the plan. Yeah. I think that can be a blessing to have that confidence. Exactly. It's interesting because I was the last to graduate. I had some kind of hiccup with my thesis, and it actually delayed me to a point where I was looking for employment in the meantime. And it felt like at the time I had failed somehow. And yet I worked so hard, and I felt like it was just this ongoing process. And yet looking back, exactly as the Lord had in store. The timing that was meant to be. Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. There is this quote I wanted to share. A friend shared it with me just recently, and she said, All of God's attributes, his characteristics are perfect in every detail, and there's not a speck of imperfection with God. He's completely right about what he says and does, not only informationally, but intuitively because it's who he is. And the reason why you can trust him is that he cannot make a mistake. And anybody that good at what they do is worthy of our trust, even when we don't understand them. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, will you just tell us who said that? Yeah, his name is Tony Evans. He's a pastor, author, and teacher. Mm-hmm. And when she said it to me just about a month ago, I thought, that's exactly true. That's mm-hmm. what I've witnessed myself. I really love that. Yeah. He's worthy of our trust. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing your perspective on that and your experiences. Um, I think we want to dive in. I think of listeners who live outside of Utah, live outside of the United States. The idea of working for an apostle mm-hmm. is like, wow, what must that be like? And so through these work experiences that you've had, just such unique opportunities to work with apostles and prophets and other leaders who members of the church around the world sustain as chosen servants of the Lord. So we want to know, how did your testimony of the divinity of these sacred callings develop as you worked in these positions? And what do you wish these ordinary members around the world could see and know about the leaders of the church? So that's a great question. I did receive that question a lot. Mm-hmm. Wait, how did you get that job? Yeah. <laughs> and I literally would say too, like divine intervention. Like, yeah. I don't take any credit for that. I didn't actually even apply. I don't know if many people knew that, but when you're working for one of the members of the 12, you don't apply for the position you're asked. And so your life really does change because it wasn't in your plan. Wasn't something you'd aspire to your whole life. Yeah, you're not. And mm -hmm. which is kind of interesting because the brethren, the 12 don't aspire to their position either. And I really love that model. I'm not sure exactly why that is, but if you maybe put that online, would you like to work for a member of the Quorum of the 12? (laughs) Can you imagine all the the resumes that fly in? Sure. I'd love that. But I was working for a member of those 70 at the time, Elder Mm -hmm. Nash, just for about a year before. So after grad school, Mm -hmm. Elder Nash, and then about a year in, planning on going to become a therapist full-time, that's when the Quorum of the Twelve pulled me aside and asked me the day after the three apostles were called, Elder Rasband, Stevenson, and Renland, when they were called the next day, Monday morning, I was asked to come in and meet with Don Staley. The Secretary of the Twelve invited me to come in and meet with him for an interview. So it was a surprise interview. I was at my desk in the other room <laughs> and was asked to come down the hall. So everything just shifted at that time. And I just know that these good men are called, and not just called, but chosen because of who they are behind the scenes. That's something that I was thinking about when you asked me this question previously. He knows them and their ministering hearts. Of course, they have things to learn and become throughout 
their entirety of their service, but I do, in my opinion, think the Lord knows three very important things about them. They love him. He knows that they love him. And they want the glory to be God's and not their selves. Mm -hmm. That is something that I have witnessed time and time again with each one. Mm -hmm. And then the second one was that they know how to love. That's not something they got because now they're called as an apostle. I think that they have had a lifetime of learning how to love. And they don't need the formal assignment. Sometimes we think, oh, they're just so good at obeying and they do what they're asked to do and they're willing, but they actually do it without even being asked. And that's something about consecration and charity that I completely value and see on firsthand basis. <laughs> and I just can't help but thinking it's for the rest of their lives, too. Yeah. And it is ha- has been their whole life, mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And then the third was that he can trust them completely. I have seen that their life over and over has shown a pattern of trust. And because of those things, this is just, again, my opinion, but he knows he can trust them. Mm-hmm. And that's worth gold, honestly. Elder Stevenson on his first day as an apostle was actually my first day, too. So I'd never worked for a member of the 12. He'd never been a member of the 12. <laughs> and he sat me down at his table and he just said, this is something we're going to have to learn together. And we're each other's team. And I thought there was so much humility where he had a senior position to me in every way in the world's standards and even in the Lord's standards. Here he is an apostle and I'm his executive assistant. And it was just a level playing field with him, always sitting at his table around this communal conversation, always. And he told me that he felt so inadequate in his call. I think it was maybe within a week or two of his being called by President Monson. And this is something that I feel like I can share because it was in his conference talk. (laughs) He said, I received an impression that both chastened and comforted him. He said, focus not on what I can't do, but rather on what I can do. And when he shared that with me, I felt so much peace about my own position, which was much less weighty than his, but my new role was to support and help sustain him in his calling. And I also think that whenever there's close association, you get to see their humanness. And that kind of behind the scenes view actually has been really comforting for me too, that he is a real man, that he has a family, he has a wife, he has a marriage. He gets tired, (laughs) stressed, uh, just like any of us. And he's someone that never really had formalities with me. He did not like them. He wanted to feel like we were friends and connected in a way that was appropriate for work, but also like very loving and Mm -hmm. approached that way with me. His wife was very much considered my friend. Mm -hmm. A personal example for me was so much of my time working for Elder Stevenson was scheduling behind the scenes service. And sometimes we think of them as just administrators or administrating in the work. But the root word of that is minister. And he was often going to hospitals, having me schedule home visits, making phone calls to those in need when there was a tragedy. He would be counseling with those who were struggling to stay on the covenant path or even in just wanting to stay in the church. Many of his missionaries, he served in Japan Nagoya Mission, and he would constantly be in touch with them. They would reach out to him. They would come in for personal meetings with him. He would minister and get blessings. I just thought, no one knows about this. This isn't mm-hmm. on his assigned agenda, but he's doing this because that's who he is. Mm-hmm. And I'm hesitant to share too much about behind the scenes for respect of his life, but mm-hmm. I started listing it. And I just thought there are so many experiences. It does make me emotional just to think about what he offered in real kindness to everyone that he met. There were difficult letters would come to him, and they would be hard to read. Some sent in very harsh criticism at times. 
and he would never reply with disdain when the door was shut with me. He would more so reply with, I wonder how we can help them. I wonder what I can do to reach out. And even if it wasn't verbal, that's what he did. Mm -hmm. He wasn't trying to put on any airs with me. And I really respect that about him. He also would arrange for a group of high school seniors in his ward to come each time he spoke to the Provo MTC devotional for missionaries worldwide. And then he'd take them on a tour of the MTC to help them answer questions about missionary work. And that was not an assignment. He just Mm -hmm. wanted to strengthen the rising generation just like the prophet has asked us to do. And then on a personal note, on Valentine's Day one year, he came and dropped off a gift to my doorstep with his wife. (laughs) They're very much gift givers, especially Lisa, Sister Stevenson, and they would call every birthday and sing me happy birthday on the phone. I mean, that's something I think is fair to share. Mm -hmm. I love that about them. I have some audio recordings on my phone of them singing. (laughs) And I thought, how many apostles call you on your birthday with all that they have to do and sing you happy birthday? That to me is just an example of how they served me. But at one poignant time was at the passing of my father in 2018. My family were able to meet with him at the funeral home before the viewing. And he and his wife came and they met with us all, nieces and nephews, my siblings, their spouses, my mother. And they just ministered to us. We were all around in a chair circle and asked questions about my dad and how to share memories. And then he testified and he left us with a family blessing. And those are things that my sister still comments today that that has strengthened her testimony of the living prophets and apostles. And it's amazing because not everybody gets to see that. And so I really appreciate you sharing. We do see their more global ministry and more formal ministry through General Mm -hmm. Conference and through the devotionals that they get. But then to see that with his family and with his wife and just as a person, He's looking for so many ways to serve and to do what Heavenly Father wants him to do, not as an apostle, but just as a person like any of us. Yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to be formalized. We see it in that realm. Oh, behind the podium or Mm -hmm. like you say, in these settings. But this is majority of what he does. It's really inspiring. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just a taste. Mm-hmm. It's Wanted so beautiful to, share. to hear. Thank you so You're much. Welcome. Well, and I think of these aspects of serving in callings, administrative, and then also ministering. And what I've learned as you've talked is just an example in any calling that we serve in. It's so easy to get sucked up into the administrative scheduling and making sure things are planned and all those logistics. But what we're asked to do is to serve as disciples of Jesus Christ and to look for ways to minister and to reach out. And I just love that. And I think that that's really reflective of what their calling is, which Mm -hmm. is to be a special witness of Jesus Christ. And what you're telling us is that what that is, is to do as Christ would do and to be like Mm -hmm. he is. And it's been so reassuring for us to hear. And I hope that that's just a really beautiful, inspiring thing for listeners to hear. So Mm -hmm. thank you for sharing these. You're welcome. Thanks for asking. I think those are the moments, too, that we can confirm that he utilizes them wherever they're needed. I mean, a lot of his assignments even were planned in advance, probably six months, and they ended up being exactly in the time after some kind of tragedy happened. But the planning of him coming, or even his cousin was in an area, too, where he was assigned in advance before an accident had happened. I mean, there's things like this that you can just see. He's literally placing them right where they need to be in advance. Mm -hmm. It's amazing. So we want to kind of move with the chronology of your life, Catherine. Mm -hmm. And I think people are probably curious, like, how do you leave a job like that? How do you decide to move on from working for an apostle? So it was in 2020 
with so many other changes <laughs> in the world that your life changed significantly, both personally and professionally. So talk to us a little bit about these changes, moving from working for Elder Stevenson to working full-time as a therapist, and then also that being the time that you were called to serve on the Relief Society Council. And talk to us about what you learned in that time, about personal revelation, about counseling with mentors, about trusting in the Lord. It's still being processed, <laughs> what happened last year. Mm-hmm. I think everyone teases about 2022 being 2020 also, because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're almost yeah. like reliving this. I'm still here. I'm still trying to think through what just happened to me. And I feel like that on a few different levels <laughs> mm-hmm. with my job and my life majorly shifting. A significant time was October 2019 conference, actually. I was sitting there and I was listening and I tend to write down impressions versus what they're saying. I'm really trying to do that because I'm so good at taking notes. You're a great <laughs> That's my job. Yes. I guess it was for a long time. <laughs> but I found that if I can just capture the impressions that I hear, I actually want to read those more when I look back versus what they said. And the strong impression that I wrote down was to start work as a therapist. And that was October, three months before the pandemic. Mm-hmm. I had no clue what was coming. It didn't make sense because I was not going to leave my job with him. That wasn't in the plan. So I felt to complete the paperwork, start working, even if it was just part-time, like one evening or two a week, so I could start working to get my full licensure. I had not been licensed yet. And it wasn't like I had a lot of free time. My days weren't really marked sometimes. I would just stay there until the day was done with him, Mm -hmm. often being some of the last people in the building. And so I worried that my exiting at night wouldn't always work out. But I mentioned it to him and he was willing to make that work. And it was just undeniable that I needed to go in that direction. So in January, literally about January 16, 2020, I started work as a therapist. And then not even just one month later, I was called to meet with Sister Bingham and her presidency in February 2020. I think it was like 30 days <laughs> after becoming a therapist. And I looked to heaven like, wait, this what's happening here? <laughs> And it was a focus group is what they call it to discuss Relief Society matters for women in the church. And they ask you about three questions and they just get a council of maybe five sisters and they just talk to you. That's a really cool experience because you get to counsel with these three amazing women leaders and you don't really anticipate that you're going to be called to anything. But you you start to have little question marks in your head like, what is this for? What is this? Yeah, (laughs) I I hope this is just a nice conversation. (laughs) But I could sense that there was something perhaps coming. And I found that in my life that the Lord has done that for me. And I worried that it's been considered pride when I've had impressions prior. But I've realized it's because he knows I'm going to worry. Yeah, you need that little <laughs> He warning. knows me. Uh-huh. He's like, just so you know, something might be coming. <laughs> and, and I'm like, got it. Pay attention. And so the next month, within 30 days of that meeting, was the pandemic and then an earthquake in Salt Lake City. And everything just seems so uncertain personally. Things then slowed very dramatically at work with Elder Stevenson. I had probably three or four trips already planned in the next two months. And that's kind of an understatement, actually, but international trips and really involved. Breakneck pace. Some of them were to Croatia, et cetera. And we were trying to get all these things together, and it was all of them were canceled. And so from March till July, nothing was on the agenda. And it was just this window that never happens, literally never happens. If anything, things were revving up all the time with him. And so I know that the spirit was whispering to me, there's a pause here. There's a moment for maybe for me to make a change. Mm -hmm. And nothing had happened with my calling at that point. I hadn't been called. And so general conference passed, April came, and I'm like, I think we're good. I think we're just having this experience to meet with those sisters and 
moving forward. And then May 3rd came and I was asked to meet with Elder Quentin L. Cook in his office. And then I knew in my heart that this door was opening in my life. And so he was able to set me apart and extend the calling to serve in the Early Society General Council. So after that meeting, I really did think I maybe could make all three work. I think in some part of me, I thought, I'll just keep doing therapy just a few evenings. And then as the council kept going, it was at least 10 to 15 hours a week. Some sisters in the church don't realize that. Yeah, it's not just it's a calling. extensive. Yeah, I mean, you f- it feels like a part-time position in some ways or full-time in other ways, mm-hmm. mentally and emotionally, spiritually. But the Lord soon showed me that this needed to shift and this was the time and that the way had been prepared. I could feel that in ways beforehand, but again, I think he gave me hints to just let me let go, like you say, of that special time with Elder Stevenson and that work environment that I had. So I left the employment for the 12 after five years, and I started working at a therapy office near my home in Bountiful. And doors opened there in ways that I could tell in detail that were just so specific and timely with people I knew five minutes down the road. I mean, it's pretty amazing how that worked out. But I had already been working there. So when the time for me to leave employment with Elder Stevenson, I already had a job. But I didn't anticipate that. That wasn't in the agenda. And so I can see even more clearly now that he went before my face, which I love, that statement in Doctrine and Covenants, and also that he was my rear word to help you make the change that he's asking you to do. I appreciate you talking us through this big change professionally and like we said, personally with this calling. And I just like the principles that this story can teach us about personal revelation, you paying close attention to the impressions you were receiving, you know, when listening to conference and just trusting in this guidance that you were receiving, these nudges from the spirit about your Mm -hmm. calling. And I think that it gives us a pattern that we can also be watching for in our lives as changes Mm -hmm. happen or as we're guided down paths that we didn't foresee. And I just appreciate you sharing these ideas with us and with our listeners. Well, Catherine, through these and your other experiences, you've called these plans, plan A, plan B. And we'd love to know, how did you learn that what can appear as plan B is actually plan A or the Lord's plan for you? And how do you think the Lord wants us to view the plan Bs or these detours in our lives? That is the essence of life, right? (laughs) (laughs) I know that I'm not the only one whose life looks like a plan B, but I don't believe in plan Bs. I really don't. I think... He's not that kind of God. He doesn't say, oh, I'm so sorry that didn't work out for you. I guess I'll have to give you a consolation prize (laughs) and hope it works out. And maybe you'll be happy with plan B. I just cannot believe in a God like that. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's not who his nature is. That's something that to me has brought me comfort, that if he knows that I'm aligned with him as best as I can, even if I make mistakes or there are sins in our lives throughout the course of our lives, he doesn't punish us. He's merciful. He's so kind. And he utilizes and consecrates our choices for our gain, whether they're positive or negative, especially if we're turning to him and trying our best. My mission president, who's actually serving on the Young Men General Council, and his wife, Susie Mullen, serving with Mm -hmm. me currently. A guest that we've had on the podcast. Yes. That connection, too, that you served with them in New York. They're so wonderful, full of energy. And he would always say, welcome to mortality. (laughs) And mainly he would say that in reply to our complaining because it was sometimes negative 50 degrees with a wind chill in upstate New York. (laughs) So he was like, welcome to mortality, mortality, people. (laughs) (laughs) But this is life. We are on an adventure and has so many unexpected twists and turns just to keep us on our toes. And 
a quote that I really do want to share from Elder Scott. He gave it in April 2003 General Conference, and I left on my mission in October 2003. And it says, even if you exercise your strongest faith, God will not always reward you immediately according to your desires. Rather, God will respond with what in his eternal plan is best for you. And he loves you to a depth and completeness that you cannot conceive of in your mortal state. Indeed, were you to know his entire plan, you would never ask for that which is contrary to it, even though your feelings tempt you to do so. There's so much in this talk, but I really appreciate Elder Scott's words. And I I needed that then, but I had no idea how much I would need it 20 years later. I literally had no clue. In all honesty, this hasn't been an easy road. And I was thinking about this prior to coming. I don't want to come across like, I'm fine with all the things that have happened and I'm good. And there has been a wrestle. And the wrestle for me is partly why I feel like I can speak to this. There's been some anguish too in real asking him for, why is it like this? Why is this my path? Why is it not as clear as I thought it would be? When I graduated high school, I was voted most likely to be married within a year. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, oh, what does that mean? But I'm the one that was never married 20 years later out of Mm -hmm. high school. And it doesn't matter per se. You know, my life has been full and good in many ways. But it has made me wonder why this path when it is something that actually in my patriarchal blessing is very clear about marriage and family. I think many people can relate to me with that, that there's things that you've been promised in a blessing or in your patriarchal blessing that maybe just doesn't seem like you're seeing the proof. And you might actually think you're on plan B route. Like maybe I didn't quite grab an opportunity or I didn't do this or that. And so the Lord's trying to make up the rest. And I don't believe that, even though I have, like I said, wrestled. And I would say that over the years, it's gotten easier, but also in some ways more difficult. And maybe to explain that just a little, the easier, I better be careful in saying easier, (laughs) like knock on wood. But I feel like I've learned how to surrender sooner and not dig my heels in so much to assert my will over his Mm -hmm. as much as I did beforehand. So the wrestle's still there, but I think that I turn to him differently. And difficult because I feel like I have been patient. Mm -hmm. We're like, you know, just keep extending your patience and trust in the Lord and he'll provide. And those statements often aren't comforting. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You're like, I have been. That is the essence of what I'm trying to do every day is try to turn it over to him. But for whatever reason in the internal scheme of things, I have to believe and I choose to believe. I think it is a choice that he isn't just waiting for me to earn these blessings of which I feel like I am worthy and I wholeheartedly desire. I don't desire anything else, but he knows where I need to be. And I don't believe that he teases us and dangles it in front of us and Mm -hmm. just says, I hope you get this one day if you're good enough. I have felt sometimes wondering about that. I think that that has been a temptation, Mm -hmm. but I just can't see that a God that kind and loving would do that to me. Well, in your responses, I'm just seeing this incredible faith because when things don't go according to our plans, especially when it continues, like you said, you're like, I am having patience. (laughs) Don't tell me to be patient. Like that's what I'm doing. It can be incredibly frustrating, incredibly discouraging. And I know you're not alone. I know that so many Mm -hmm. of our listeners either have experienced that or are experiencing that. But I just am Mm -hmm. so inspired by these experiences that you've had where you've kind of learned that there is no plan B as long as we're following the spirit and doing our best to do the Lord's will. That is plan A. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really inspiring that you've just kind of accepted that and had so many blessings. It doesn't mean that things are difficult still, but I think Mm -hmm. that that's a really valuable lesson. Mm -hmm. Thank you. 
And it also sounds like something that's aided you in this process is really learning and coming to see the nature of God. Mm -hmm. Because I think a lot of times those knee-jerk reactions, like you said, he's teasing me. Mm -hmm. Apparently I'm not good enough. (laughs) These thoughts that come to mind, it's like, no, if we really focus in on who God is, in Mm -hmm. these quotes that you've shared with us, he sees everything before him. He sees more than just this moment in time. It allows us to, like you said, really hold on and Mm -hmm. keep holding on to that trust and that patience. And I think so much of women who are really struggling, and it can be easy to say, what is God doing to me? I'm being punished. Blessings are being withheld from me. I've been forgotten, and I am Mm -hmm. sent down this forsaken plan B path. But I think that's where we can turn back to the very basics of the gospel and study and learn and focus again on who God is that we have mm-hmm. heavenly parents that love us, that we have a savior who gave his life for us and what that really means and, and what that means in our lives. Absolutely. So. Thank you. That's beautiful. So in the last couple of years, then you've served on the Relief Society Council and you've shared with us what you hope members of the church could see and know about apostles and prophets. But in this time, you've also had some very tender experiences with the women who serve and lead these organizations. Can you share with us how you felt of their divine callings as well? And again, what you wish the women of the church knew about these women who are serving and representing them at a general level in Relief Society, Young Women in Primary? Well, don't you just love the presidency of the Relief Society? Yes. You look at the three of them together and you're like, that is a powerhouse team. With President Bingham, she has taught so much about the interdependence of men and women and how it's complementary and not competitive. She is such a strong woman. And then you think of Sister Eubank, who I believe has the gift of articulation. She has been placed in her position, and yes, she's single, but that's not why she's in that dynamic trio. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She has been utilizing her talents. The Lord knows what she needs to do, and she has been running, and I admire her too for that. And then Sister Roberto, she is the key player of diversity and inclusion and the variety of backgrounds and people and demographics that she's talked to and spoken to and acknowledged, Mm -hmm. even the mental health community especially. Mm -hmm. Those three together, I just think, wow, I'm so grateful I get to just know them and witness their call as well. When I was called, I felt inadequate. I was the youngest. I was 38 and the only single sister at the time. And there were 10 of us. And my whole world with work had just shifted. I felt like it was this major leap of faith, leaving the safety of my Corm of the 12 job and into the unknown. And then I had some health issues rise that fall that were enough to get in the way. And I just felt unable to truly serve in the ways I've always wanted to. And not having someone to lean on in my personal life as a spouse or someone to kind of carry the load, I, I felt like it was all just, I've got to do this. And... One memory after a Zoom call, Relief Society meeting, President Bingham asked at the end of the prayer, Catherine, I'd like to speak with you just briefly, just you and I after. I'm like, oh, great. (laughs) I was nervous. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think your brain goes back to like being a little girl, like, (laughs) am I in trouble? Like, am I doing a (laughs) good job? Did I do something wrong? (laughs) Yes. So, and she's so warm and welcoming. It wasn't scary. It was just this feeling of, I hope that I'm serving in the ways that I want to and that she recognizes that, but I felt inadequate. I was emotional during that little moment with her crying, and she ended up crying with me. And she testified to me of the divinity of my call, which I thought was so interesting that here's this president of the Relief Society testifying to me that she knew why I was there and that I don't need to doubt, that I don't need to 
second guess because she had a witness herself. And that I could trust her. Her sharing that witness with me was such a gift. And I know the Lord spoke through her at the time. She didn't really even know everything I was feeling and facing in my personal life. But even if this calling often has felt daunting, there is a familiar feeling. And the familiar feeling is sisterhood. And she creates that. And those I serve with do too. But I felt that in many other callings in really society over the years. But this was like a home moment, a moment where I felt like I don't need to fear. I'm right where I need to be. And I have a sister in her. I also wanted to mention that I've attended many meetings that always feel uplifting. There's great counsel and conversation, but I have been a witness to um, specific times when the spirit was completely tangible and it was distinct and to the point where words would fail, where all of us literally would stop and even where we've had to pause and regroup because there was a spirit that was just powerful. We think about this a lot with the Quorum of the Twelve and the different councils of the brethren, but maybe the sisters of the church aren't aware that these councils are happening in their behalf, that there's the spirit that presides there too, and that these women speak with the power and authority of God just as much because of the priesthood that they have in their calling by those who have been given priesthood keys to provide that for them. I feel like that's been one of the greatest highlights of my service so far. I love this story so much. Mm -hmm. It's so beautiful because I think... It's very real. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it is real. And I think that President Bingham and her counselors have served for several years. And I think some of us feel like, oh, we do know them. And it's Mm -hmm. so wonderful to hear this personal experience with her, like you said, just demonstrating this compassion and true sisterhood, just like listening to you and validating you and being so loving and affirming. No judgment. Mm Mm-hmm. I look back, I'm like, why did I say all that to her? I was so insecure. (laughs) She just was so kind and so validating. That's who she is, too. Well, and again, that's what I was just going to say. It's like in this example, we see her as the General Relief Society president, but then we also see her just as a person. And I love Mm -hmm. that you said she created this sisterhood. And that's something that, of course, she's doing in her calling. But then that's also just who she is, which just helps me feel like those things are a little bit more tangible and attainable. And it's like, I can do stuff like that. Yes. It's what you naturally do anyway. So anyway, it's just really beautiful to see these different insights into their lives. Mm -hmm. And thank you for your testimony of the power that they serve with and the power that is present as they counsel with each other and seek to figure out what is best for the women of the church, what the women of the church need, what they are praying for and seeking. Mm -hmm. I think that's a reassuring witness and something I love about our opportunity to talk with sisters who serve on these councils, to hear your witnesses of your divine call, of their divine call, that they are where they're supposed to be and these people are who are needed at this time. Exactly. It's pretty profound behind the scenes. Well, Catherine, we're living in a unique time. We've talked about Mm -hmm. how COVID just keeps going. And we're dealing with being still so busy as women in Relief Society. And still, we're not totally connecting. You know, our meeting schedules are still being adjusted. We're still having all of these COVID restrictions and other challenges just in our lives. And we would just love to know from your perspective, why is Relief Society still relevant? And how has your testimony of Relief Society's divine origins and importance grown as you've served on the council? And as you mentioned to us, just your service also. Just extensive service extensive on the local service, level. On local mm-hmm. levels of Relief mm-hmm. Society callings. Wow. I think that's a great question all of us should ask ourselves. Why do we need Relief Society? In some ways, church in general is fading in today's society. The involvement, even of the new generations, there's a more movement towards spirituality versus religiosity. 
And that's important for us to solidify in our lives. Why do we need this organization or why do we need to be part of this Relief Society when there's so many good causes in the world? I believe that Relief Society is still relevant because if we look much further back, President Bingham has taught us personally in a council setting to look at our origin story. Origin stories are powerful for all people, even outside the church, obviously. But knowing Mother Eve, that she was a force for good, a mighty force. Her voice was needed. It was vital to the eternal plan. And that same principle is what lives in Relief Society. It isn't just some modern day group that we kind of came up with to put the women in this little club. I think we have to be so careful not to think of it that way, where we almost start to pattern it after the world standards. That even happened in Nauvoo with the women of the church. They said, let's make shirts. We want to make lunches. We want to be helpful for this temple to be built. And Joseph looked at them and just said, meet me in the red brick store. The Lord has something much more for you. And I think that that still lives on today. We can be involved in this group and that group, and we should be involved in the world and the good things that are out there. But we have to remember that this is the greatest cause. And the reason is Relief Society was designed and called for a mighty purpose, and it was to save souls. And as soon as we start to drift in another direction or see it in a more casual sense, we lose the power and authority that we do have. We don't have to wait for approval The approval has been granted, and we have the right to be participants fully in the work. I think about President Nelson's talk in October 2015. So this was his first talk, actually, as the president of the Quorum of the Twelve, and it was the plea to my sisters. And he said, we need your strength, your conversion, your conviction, and your ability to lead. We need your wisdom and your voices. A little paraphrasing. But you can't get much more direct than that. And if that's the role in the work of Relief Society, then we have some work to do. And it's important for us, too, to see that the Lord and the Spirit are moving us forward. I think the women of the world are moving forward. A lot want to be involved. I think it's wonderful. It's probably driven by the Lord. But we have to channel it in the right direction and to be fully aligned with His work. I think that that's so important. The adversary can easily kick us off gear sometimes if we're not careful and we lose sight of actually what the vision is. I do think what you said about knowing our origins is so important, and I think that's why we are drawn, Chaylin and I, again and again to stories from our history, Mm. women from our history, stories about what the Relief Society has done since the restoration of the gospel, because that's a part of who we are. It's how we got to where we are today, and we're very connected to them. And those stories and those women can give us hints, like you said, of what is the deeper purpose here? How does that translate to life in 2022? So I think that that's a good reminder from President Bingham to not forget where we've come from and to study that and have that help guide us today. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the Lord needs us to rise to the occasion as well. We can be invited. We can even be pleaded with by a president of the Quorum of the Twelve, future prophet, and we still have to do our part. We still have to rise to that occasion and ask ourselves, well, then how am I to serve? It may look different for each person, but when you're aligned in the realm of Relief Society in the work that it does throughout the world, ministering, of course, at the base of that, you won't be held back. The Lord will back every effort, and I've seen it. I've witnessed it. Well, Catherine, thank you so much for joining us today. I've been really uplifted by these personal insights that you have and your Mm -hmm. perspective in all of your various service opportunities and in your profession. So thank you. Thank you. It's been so good to be here. Well, thank you so much. Like Shaylin said, this has been such a wonderful conversation for us, and we know for those listening. So 
To our listeners, thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Women podcast. We hope you'll continue to tune in and share these episodes with your friends and family. We love hearing from you, so please continue to share your thoughts and feedback on Apple Podcast Reviews. You can contact us at podcast at churchofjesuschrist.org. It's great to get your suggestions for topics and guests. We also want to make sure our listeners are aware that the podcast is available just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. In addition to being on the church's website, it's also available on the Gospel Library app, Saints Channel mobile app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere. So keep that in mind as you tune in, subscribe, and continue to share these voices and stories of women of faith with your friends and family. We'd also like to thank our wonderful editor, Kurt Dahl, and our producer, Matthew Bingham, and the many others who support this podcast. Until next week, I'm Shailen Back. And I'm Carly Guyman. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.